Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption. Today we're going to be hearing from the part of the adoption triad, and by triad we mean adoptive parents, adoptive kids, and birth parents. Today we're going to be hearing from the part of the triad that we hear the least from, and that is birth parents. I think that often they are the most misunderstood aspect of the, and probably the least researched as well, uh, part of the triad. So I am so thankful that uh, we have a panel today of four uh, uh, birth moms who are going to be talking to us about adoption from their end of the, the, the perspective and sharing with us what the experience is like for them. I, I strongly recommend that all adoptive parents uh, listen to this uh, panel and learn from it. But before we dive into that, let me just take a moment to let you know that our uh, corporate underwriter is, or our partner is, uh, Jockey Being Family Foundation. And they have a service that is free for adoption agencies of all type, domestic infant, international, or foster care, that if your agency is not taking advantage of this, you need to let them know about it. They provide, it's called their backpack program. They provide a free high-quality backpack that has the initials of the child, the newly adopted child. And inside, they have an adorable little bear and this uh, jockey uh, blanket that's cuddly. And, And they also then have resources, free resources for parents. If your agency isn't taking advantage of it, they're nuts. They should be. It's free. This is the mission of the Jockey Bean Family Foundation. They believe in post-adoption support, and this is one of the ways they do it. So go to their website, jockeybeingfamily.com, and um, go there and click on Backpack Program. Uh, go there, and your agency uh, can sign up. It does have to be from an agency, though, so you can't just, as an individual parent, uh, get a, a backpack for your child. But your agency can, so make sure you reach out and let them know. And in one word of warning before we jump into the interview, as many of you astute listeners have picked up, we have been doing a lot of changes here at Creating a Family, uh, and, and one of the changes is improving our sound quality. This show is going to be uh, a re-airing of a show that we did a number of years ago, and it is uh, using the old system, so you're going to notice a difference in sound quality. Uh, sorry about that, uh, but uh, that's, just, that's just how it is sometimes. So without further ado, we bring you this really good panel of birth moms talking to us. Today's show, I am so looking forward to, it is going to be a panel of birth moms, birth mothers, sharing their experience of adoption. I'm going to introduce them to you now. We have Sarah Bluebaugh. She was 17 when she placed her son 22 years ago in a semi-closed adoption where she has limited contact with the adoptive family through letters passed through the adoption agency, and she is not in reunion with her son. We also have Margaret Wilmoth, who placed her daughter in 1970 in a closed adoption. She searched for and found her daughter when her daughter was 22, and they have a close relationship now. Jamie Hedrick, who is the author of our blog today, or her story is on the blog today, I probably should say it that way. She was 26 when she placed her son two years ago in a totally open adoption. And last but certainly not least, we have Kate Livingston. She is a birth mom to a son in an open adoption since 2001. She has regular face-to-face contact with his, her son and his family, and she studies adoption theory and, theory and politics and is pursuing her Ph.D. specializing in adoption politi- policy and practice. Welcome, Kate, Jamie, Margaret, and Sarah to Creating a Family. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Kate, I'm going to direct my first question to you, and it's kind of a selfish question since I so often have to deal with this issue. What is the preferred term, or is there one? Is it birth mother? Is it first mother? Is it plain old mother? Or, or is, it, is it whatever term I'm not remembering right now? I mean, what is the, what should I, and I'm often in this position because I'm often having to write about this, and I, I so don't want to offend someone, but it seems like I, it would be easier if there was just a uniform agreement on what I am supposed to say. That's a very good question. Um, to clarify, both birth mother and first mother generally refer to a woman who has placed a child for adoption. So at the core, they have the same meaning. However, people's preferences vary widely. I would oh, say. Oh, tell me that about it, that. Yes, I know. <laughs> sure. It, and it's because in adoption, the politics of language is really important as we work to provide an acknowledged and recognized space for birth parents, you know, in our cultural ideas of the family. So some women do not 
uh, appreciate the term birth mother because perhaps they feel it's a purposeful or maybe even unintentional devaluation of the relationship that they have with their child, um, pretty much by reducing it to gestation or birth. Whereas others, you know, have grown up with the term birth mother. That was probably a term that, um, uh, when we first started talking about adoption more openly, that was a term that was used frequently. So some of us are used to that term. I'm really attuned to the politics of language. However, I prefer birth parents and birth mother uh, because it's just it's more recognizable. It's easier to you know get people to understand what I'm talking about if I'm using a, a more uh, a term that's more salient. Yeah. And so, and but a lot of people prefer birth mother. I mean, uh, first mother. First mother. Yeah, and that's it's yeah. What I tend to do is just alternate. I have found that that way I'm, and, and I face this a lot because you're right. Language is so important, and it's important in infertility. It's important in, in third-party reproduction. Language people have such emotional reactions to it, and I understand that. So I'll just continue to rotate around. Jamie, let me ask you a question. You placed not all that long ago, a couple of years ago. Your son is almost two. How did family and friends react to your decision to place your child for adoption? Um, it's actually very interesting. For the most part, I had a lot of support. Um, I was working full-time, um, and I've been at my place of employment for, gosh, it was six years by then. Um, so they had gotten to know me, saw me grow up and everything. So they were supportive. My family just rallied around me and said, whatever you need to do, they offered to help me parent my child and it was really my decision, and once I explained to them what I wanted for my son and what I wanted for that that being inside of me, they were like, "Okay, well, let's let's help you with this any way we can." It's interesting though because my family is still super supportive, my close friends are super supportive, but some people a little more outside of my circle look at it well. Now that you've made that decision, now that that's taken care of, we can go back to life as usual, and it's really hard to express that even though, you know, I've made this decision, it's what I wanted, it still doesn't settle anything in my heart with being a mother without my child, you know. Um, yeah. So the support is there, but there's a little bit of, you know, it's a little more insensitive on some levels. Sarah, have you also found that what I hear women say is that there's this awkwardness after the fact, uh, and, and I know yours was a closed relationship, so it's not the awkwardness as to the open part of it, but have you also found that, that people don't know how to react to you after the fact when they uh, find out that you're a, a first mom? I would definitely say so. Um, I mean, I just remember going back to high school, and it's kind of like you're sort of pretending that everything's the same or like life is going on, but you're totally changed, you know, as a birth mother, first mother, whatever you want to call me, I'm a totally different person after that experience. Right. Um, I don't think my family expected me necessarily to just go back to normal, but definitely, you know, friends only want to see you cry so much. They only have so much sympathy to give, I would say. And to mm -hmm. be perfectly honest, at this point in my life, I'm actually, well, except for the fact that you just said my last name on the radio, I am a fairly closeted birth mother. Um, people that knew me have known me for 15, 20 years. They all know the story. I was hearing from his parents much more frequently then, so I had something to say about my child. Um, but like my best friends that are my friends today, nearly all of them have no idea. So, And it is awkward. I mean, I have struggled with how would I even begin to talk to people about that. It's very painful. People don't know what to say. And honestly, I don't know how people are going to react. I just want our audience to know, I did get her permission. I honestly did yes, not you out did her, get my okay? Permission. <laughs> I, I did get my permission. I don't really feel the need to necessarily be in the closet. I just kind of ended up there because, as I, I said, I didn't, I didn't have much to say because I didn't know anything about my child. I also think, though, a lot of people, even a lot of birth uh, mothers I talk with, are somewhat closeted because it's just an, uh, after the fact, because it's an awkward, mm -hmm. awkward conversation to have. Kate, have you seen that as well? Yeah, I found that it actually it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And so um, in my own experience, I found myself, at least perhaps in the second and third year, drawing back from talking about it more openly because it, 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 it was making other people uncomfortable. It wasn't that I didn't want to talk about it. It's that I didn't necessarily have um, a welcoming outlet and a safe space 
to talk about it. Um, but, but definitely it, it, it does make other people feel uncomfortable, um, which, which impedes upon our ability to kind of, um, make connections with people who could support us, I think. Yeah, but I also think it, it also makes sense from a self-protective standpoint. If if you had a radar that could go out and say, okay, is this the right person to open up to, it would be easier. But, of course, we don't have that. Margaret is the only person who is the parent of an adult child uh, that you've placed for adoption. And actually, you have other children that are probably adults as well. Yes. Um, do, do you find that it gets any easier as when your child is an adult? Yes, it it has become uh well, I only knew her as a 20-year-old, 22-year-old and older. So I of course did not have a a young um she was not young when I had a reunion with her. Um I think that yes, I also had silence for over 20 years. My immediate family knew about this but really uh, re- either refused to discuss it or found it really uncomfortable, and it always brought um, tears and angry words. So I learned real quickly to just not speak of it for about 20 years. None of my friends knew about it, and it was a very uh, painful um, process to, to, be, to manage alone. And, of course, in those days, Internet and even really uh, books uh, that were available uh, really didn't. It wasn't. Um, it didn't. It didn't make it for me. Uh, since the reunion, though, as an adult, uh, my daughter has uh, full liberty, of course, to make her own decisions, and uh, her decision has been one to um, foster a very meaningful family relationship with me and my other children but um, also recognizing that in some ways her adoptive family is, in fact, her uh, her first family. She uh, has always maintained that they are the people that she relates to as a child and growing up, and so I am the other mother. In fact, we sometimes uh, sign our uh, cards or letters back and forth, Internet, whatever, sometimes as, other other mother, but in a friendly, humorous sort of way. Uh-huh. And I also yeah. have included our language of, again, a humorous, loving context. She writes letters to me with Mama Margaret. So it's kind of both childish and as an adult addressing me by my name. Mm-hmm. I don't think she would do that with her um, adoptive mother. So um, it's changed. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, it's, but she's honoring both relationships. It Absolutely. Like. Absolutely. Yeah. And Jamie, uh, I mean, uh, this next question I'm going to address to both Jamie and Kate, since you were uh, both have placed more recently and were in the process and, and had the uh, the uh, the job of selecting uh, adoptive parents. What what were you looking for when you were choosing adoptive parents for? And both of you have some. So for your sons, let me start with you, Jamie. Um. Well, I think it's important to say that every girl is looking for something different. So what I might have been looking for could be totally different than what someone else is looking for. But specifically, I wanted people that were, I mean, since I was older, um, when I became pregnant, I did want a couple that was maybe a few years older than me, kind of at that point where I wish I was, but I wasn't there yet, so that my son could still be raised by you know, younger people and would grow, you know, it would be their first child because he would have been mine, you know, he was mine. Um, So those were like more of the specific things I was looking for. I was looking for people that had the same faith value that I and and, uh, belief system that I did and how I was raised. But really what got me when I was looking at profiles and reading these letters that these these prospective adoptive couples were writing, what caught my attention was when they put, they opened their letter acknowledging my pain and saying that obviously I have been walking a difficult and painful road um, to get to looking at this profile and they were saying that they had also been through some pain and that we will make this together, you know, and that was my biggest thing. It hit me. I'm like, you know, they really want me to make the best decision for me. They're not trying to convince me to give them my baby, which is how I felt a lot of the letters sounded. You know, we can give your child this, and we want to do this, and we want to do that. And I get the eagerness that these 
adoptive um, parents feel because they are waiting and yearning for a child, and I get that. But at the same time, I am giving up the most important thing in my life for my own reasons, but it's still very painful, and I appreciated them understanding that and going out of their way to say it. You uh, quoted in what the uh, the essay that I uh, posted on on uh, my blog uh, this week. You quoted their language, and it was truly beautiful. It was, uh, I mean, it just tugs at your heart as you read it because it was so, I don't know, so heartfelt and so real. Um, I thought, uh, and uh, your son's uh, adoptive mom is a very articulate woman because she she also has a beautiful quote at the end that I just loved as yes. well. Uh, Kate, what about you? Because um, I think uh, Jamie had a good point. Each, I mean, and that's actually one of the subtext of my blog this week was that we can't talk about the generic birth mom or first mom because there is no such thing. Just as there's no generic adoptee or no typical adoptive parent, we are the human experience is way too complex for that. But uh, from your perspective, Kate, what were you looking for when you were choosing an adoptive parent? Well, I placed about 10 years ago, and one of the things that is interesting about um, my particular experience is that I had the full support of my son's birth father throughout the in, entire decision-making process and in, in the last 10 years through this open adoption. So really, we were looking at these profiles together uh, as a team. So that is um, something that's pretty rare, I think. You're uh, right, it is. At, at least I've observed in my, you know, birth parent support group that uh, we all attend, all four of us. Um, I, I should say, mention, just let me put in a plug right now. I I found Kate originally um, from a article written, a beautiful article written on a birth mother support group that she had started. And, you know, talk about a wonderful support that's being offered. I uh, and, and, and all of these women are our friends in real life as well because they're all a part of this uh, support group. Now go ahead and come back to the question, which is what you were looking for 10 years ago when you placed sure. you and your, well, uh, I would say your son's father. In contrast to Jamie, I think um, my son's father, Dave, and I did not know what we were looking for um, because we were still in the process of deciding whether adoption was something we wanted to pursue. So when we were looking at profiles, um, we were still up in the air about the decision, but we just wanted to – you know, look at the profiles and see what was out there. Um, and unlike Jamie, we actually gravitated toward a couple that was significantly older than the rest of the um, than the rest of the couples that were in the stack that we received from the attorney and the agency because we looked um, at profiles at a couple of different places. Um, but what drew us to the couple that we ultimately chose was that they resembled our families and 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 I don't actually remember and I wish I did I have their profile somewhere at my house um but I don't remember what the letter was like but I do remember still today the pictures and uh, a lot of the pictures that they had were just candid photos of uh family vacations they have a very large tight knit family and that was really represented in the photos and that reminded me so much of the way I had grown up, and it was very familiar, and that, and, and that was a, one of the reasons we ended up um, deciding to speak to them. And in, in, in meeting with them, we ultimately decided that they were the ones that we would like to parent our son. But um, it was there was a, a feeling of familiarity there. And when you say resemble, I don't get the feeling you're talking about physical resemblance as much as no. emotional resemblance. Um, I come from a very large, boisterous family uh my my mother has nine brothers and sisters so they have the 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 familiarity was a large you know zany looking family that spends a lot of time together that was that was what was being communicated with the photos all right the next question is going to be one from uh, our audience and again i'm going to this is in relation to an open adoption so I'm going to uh, direct this question to Jamie and Kate again. This one is from Lori. She said specifically regarding an open adoption, I would like to know three things. They she has uh, she's got a theme going here. It's a three thing theme. So I'm going to read uh, read it out, and you don't have to do three from a time standpoint. Just say the one or two things. Uh, what was that you appreciate from the adoptive parents uh, in your open adoption? Kate, let's go ahead and start with you on that one. Um, what I appreciate from uh, my son's adoptive parents are um, 
especially in the last couple of years, um, my son is now older, so he's involved with sports. Occasionally, they will send um, his sports schedule and invite us to come and actually be a part of his, uh, you know, elementary school life right now. To, to see him in action is something that is incredibly important to me, and that has developed over the years. Uh, most of our visits in the beginning were, well, because he was a, a newborn, he couldn't really run around and do much. Um, we're at their house, but now they're, they've slowly begun to um, kind of incorporate us just into their daily lives, and that has been, those have been really important moments for both Dave and I and my extended family, um, which I would say is probably the second thing that I appreciate uh, the most is that they have also welcomed extended family to join in these visits, and that has just been priceless for my brother and sisters and my grandparents and my family, Dave's family as well. They've been um, very open uh, to having my zany family join their zany family on occasion. Um, and Jamie, why don't you jump in and tell me what uh, sure. you have appreciated from your son's adoptive parents? Um, I would have to say probably the most important thing that has been from day one. Um, both my son's adoptive parents, even when I was still pregnant and I had just chosen them, um, they've gone out of their way to make sure that our conversations don't just revolve around the baby. And, well, he's not even really a baby anymore. Um, but, you know, they don't just revolve around my son, their son. Um, they don't have to necessarily call me and say, hey, he did this today. They do. But at the same time, we have two, three-hour conversations about my life and what I'm doing at my job and, you know, my my family. And, and it's just really nice. They share things about themselves and it's not just I, I don't feel like it's just obligatory that they're calling me about the baby and they want to update me because that's what we agreed upon and everything it's really turned into something so much bigger and so much more beautiful we are extended family to each other and we really care so that would probably have to be the biggest thing but I would have to say another thing that falls right underneath that is just what Kate said how they go out of their way as well to make sure that my extended family is involved and um my grandparents were invited to his first birthday and my sisters, my parents, my grandparents. It was just so cool to see how much how much love is centered around one person, one little person, you know. Mm. So that has to be the most beautiful thing. Then her second part of her question is uh what do you wish adoptive parents knew um that they uh that they may not know? And, and remember, our audience may be people who are considering open adoption. So you're speaking not just towards people who are um, already in the middle of one. Hmm. And I guess, let's see, Jamie, I'll let that, you talk. We started with Kate first on the last one. What I wish adoptive or prospective adoptive parents knew, um, I really, I don't know if it will ever be possible to portray this because I know myself, I go out of my way that when I have a bad day, since I have such openness with my son's parents, I never want them to see me crumble, ever. I I protect them, and, and I think it's also a coping mechanism for myself. But I don't know if it's ever possible to kind of express or, or let someone know, but there is so much pain associated. And, and I know I've had people look at me, and I know Kate and I have talked, and, and I can't speak for her, but I do know she's encountered this a little too. People just look at us like, well, you wanted this, especially in our situations, how we made this decision and we had the support from our family. We could have chosen something different and we still chose what was what we felt was best for our child. But that doesn't settle anything inside of me. And mm -hmm. and as good and as happy and as beautiful as it is and the openness and I appreciate all of it, it still it leaves an emptiness inside of me that can never be replaced, nor would I want it to be. But it's just there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sadness on top of something that most outsiders look in on and say, well, they wanted this and she has contact and she gets all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I do, but it doesn't mean that, that I'm necessarily okay. I'm just good for what it is, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, couldn't have said it better. Uh, it's beautiful. Kate, what about you? Uh, I have to echo everything that uh, Jamie just said, because that truly, I mean, she did say it beautifully. But I also think that trying to identify one part of a birth parent's experience that, 
you know, that adopt a prospective adoptive parent should know is kind of it's like it's a question almost that's insufficient to the task because there's so much diversity in birth parents' experiences with adoption. There's so much diversity in their experiences coming into adoption that what is really required is that birth parents' uh, perspectives be integrated in a greater way in the larger conversations that we have in adoption generally. And then uh, secondly, Prospective adoptive parents really need to make an effort to get to know their uh, the birth parent that they're matched with on an individual level because of that diversity. Uh, but I would say for me, um, probably one of the the more important things that I wish maybe my own son's adoptive parents would know is that how much anxiety there is in, on the part of birth parents in engaging in an open relationship. I am constantly jockeying to make sure that the, the ways I communicate with them uh, affirm their parenthood and their place in my son's life. I never want to overstep any boundaries. And that is really difficult to kind of um, to balance an open relationship with the boundaries. And I know that they're dealing with that also. But um, open communication about just on a meta level about the open relationship is really important. Um, but but how difficult it is on a birth parent level to engage in the openness is something that um, we often don't really talk about, I think. Well, and I think that from an adoptive parent's perspective, it's important to know that they're not the only ones who feel the that anxiety and that openness because adoptive yes. parents feel the very same, well, not yes. the very same. There is a kind of a clutch in the stomach when you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I handle this? How do I do this? You know, I don't want to hurt feelings. How do I how do I say this? How do I? It's it, and, but if you could acknowledge that the other person is feeling, they have their own, they have their own anxiety. It makes it, it makes you, it makes you at least less self-centered about the whole thing. We're um, all on on tiptoes at all times, sometimes, and and it would be, you know, it is refreshing to acknowledge that on all levels. Yeah, it would be. This, uh, this is Margaret, and I just huh? want to add to that, if I may. Please. Um, even though I've had a totally successful reunion for over 20 years now, I have not met my daughter's uh, adoptive parents yet to this day. They Why? know I'm in the picture and they're uh, kept in, informed periodically. But because of that same anxiety that uh, Jamie and Kate just mentioned, it still exists. I think the fear of uh, overstepping boundaries, or um, in some way, um, some threatening encounter, I think is perceived somehow. And so I have taken the position of honoring their wishes not to have any contact with me whatsoever. We've never met or spoken. And um, and I, see, I personally see that as sad, but yet um, it's also completely fine. I've honored that, and I, I want to demonstrate that I will honor their their boundaries as well. So that anxiety doesn't necessarily go away. Oh, I bet it doesn't. And I imagine it gets complicated when there are grandchildren. And, you know, it's it's like any extended family-type relationship in a yes. sense. You've got to – there's no such thing as the perfect one. There's no – because we are all such individuals and our needs are different. And yeah, But I think sometimes as adoptive parents – and and probably as a birth parents as well, we have to be more forgiving of the of the nuances and the quirks of the other person in this in this relationship because we are forgiving of our friends and our friends have have uh, parts and picadillos that we find confusing at times, but we we treat it differently sometimes in this relationship because it's so emotionally charged. But um, Sarah, I wanted to talk with you some about what I think is it's something that I feel very strongly about, and that is the obligation of, of adoptive parents to honor whatever degree of openness they have uh, have agreed to in their adoption agreement, or even if there's not an agreement, just what they said. Uh, tell us just a little bit about your experience, because your, your adoptive parents, your, not yours, your son's <laughs> adoptive parents, um, ended up um, reneging, not reneging, but withholding contact for years at a time, and you had no no way of getting in touch with them. So can you just briefly kind of set the stage about uh, how long that period of time lasted and, and what it was like for you? Sure. 
Um, well, first of all, I mean, I did relinquish my son in 1988, um, and the agency that I was involved with, um, I, I suspect that there maybe were some moves to openness in our state at that time, maybe in private attorneys and that kind of thing. But at that time, birth mothers did not choose their adoptive parents through this agency. The agency had a pool of adoptive parents they would select from and, you know, lottery system. There were six, I guess, six couples at a time that could get a baby. So when my baby became available, they chose from, the agency chose one of those six couples. I do think the agency did try to match my child up with someone that might have similar values or interests to me, but I did not choose them. Um, I, and I also want to say my agency never promised me a thing in terms of what the parents would do or wouldn't do. What they did offer is that they would pass on any written correspondence that I did share um, they, of course, would pre-screen that correspondence to make sure I did not spill the beans as to who I was, where I live, anything where the parents could figure out who I was, and, of course, vice versa. Perhaps even more importantly, if they were to write me back, there could be nothing in there that would tell me where my child was. Um, so the um, adoptive parents were kind enough to write to me, respond to my letters, that kind of thing, um, a few times his first year of life. Um, they allowed me to send um, some small gifts. I sent um, an Easter basket that I had made him for his first Easter. Um, I, uh, I sent him a birthday gift. My grandmother um, had quilt, had made a baby quilt for him. They passed that on to him, and I have a picture of that, so I know that, you know, the, the family did receive that. Um, and then as time went on, it sort of became less and less. I continued to write what I feel was faithfully writing, um, and then they would sometimes respond and sometimes not respond. Um, after the first year, um, they wrote to me again when he was three. They wrote to me again when he was in kindergarten in first grade, then in third grade, and then I heard from them once when he was in seventh grade and once when he was in 11th grade. Um, and then the last letter I received was basically a generic, um, and I don't want to say generic, but it was their Christmas letter that they, you know, send out to probably everyone on their Christmas list, and right. they just put a little note at the bottom. So, unfortunately, there wasn't really a whole lot about my son and what he was doing. I mean, there was a little bit, but that it was not uh, an overly personal type letter, which was fine. I was thrilled to receive it. After four years, I had honestly thought I was never going to hear anything ever again. Um, I, for my part, have always wanted my child to know that I loved him. I have not forgotten about him. He is important to me. Um, I have continued every year to send a card on his birthday that the agency has forwarded. My parents have also done the same. And then for Christmas, I have always sent a gift and a letter, a, and you know, some kind of in-depth letter to let them know how I am and to try to basically beg for them to write me back without trying to be too imposing about begging. Um, the letters they have written have always been very kind. They always... Um, I mean, they've always been very nice letters. Um, I don't really know the reason why there has been the gaps. Um, of course, my assumption was either, one, they were too busy, or two, perhaps I said something that made them uncomfortable, and so it became easier not to respond. I don't I don't really know. Um, I certainly don't want to read any bad motives into it. You know, perhaps people get busy, you know, or maybe they, I don't know. It's even possible, I suppose, that my son at some point had said, I don't really want you writing her back. You know, perhaps at a certain developmental period, he wasn't comfortable with that. I don't honestly know. That would be a great question to have answered someday. Um, as I said, the last time they wrote to me, he was 17. I have continued to send my correspondence, as I always have. Um, when my son was 21, last Christmas, he actually sent me a letter through the agency, um, and it was a very kind letter. Um, it, it was a, you know, it was a lovely letter indicating that he wanted to perhaps meet. The agency would facilitate that by allowing our identifying information to be released. I filled out the necessary paperwork, and he did not follow through. So we're kind of in a limbo period right now. But to get back to your question about how I would feel when I didn't hear from them, I would worry. I'm a worrier. I can't speak for all birth mothers, but I immediately think I go through the terrible litany of the list. Is he dead? I had a brother who died of leukemia when I was eight. That's my only sibling. So I always think, does he have cancer? Does he need a bone marrow transplant? And no one has told me. Mm -hmm. Are his parents getting a divorce? Is he on drugs? Did, is, is his mother dying? You know, terrible. I mean, I go through everything. And then when I get a letter, it's like, okay, 
he's all right, he's alive, he's okay, look, he's smiling in the picture. It, it's a lifeline for me to know that my child is alive and well. I, mm-hmm. I needed to know that. I still need to know that. And that's, that's not going to go away. So I, I, it is, I guess if, if adoptive parents have an opportunity to share that their child is okay with that birth parent, I guess I would just ask them to please do so. Maybe they're not all like me, but I have, I, I worry. I worry and I fret and I go to the worst extremes. So I think you're sounding like a mom. I think all moms do that. And I think that it is, that's what I wanted people to hear is that there, by there is no excuse. You're kinder than me. There is no excuse. I mean, yes, you're busy, but so what? You know, life is busy. And that there is the second guessing of, did I screw up? Did I do something? Could that, you know, I think that because you're in a position of not knowing, your mind does wander. Anyway, thank you so much, Sarah. I I, um, I really wanted that message to, to get out here. Here is a um, email we got from, she says, I am an adoptive mom of a three-year-old girl. We love our daughter's birth mom and have an open adoption that and regular get-togethers. She has a couple of questions. One, uh, what is the most meaningful gift or gesture your child's adoptive parents have given you? Well, Margaret, you haven't met them, so that wouldn't work. And actually, come to think of it, Sarah, you I, would. I can that answer that by saying that they have given me a gift of a, raising a wonderful daughter. They did a terrific job provided love and support, a large family, and wonderful memories, a great privileged life with education. And so they have gifted me in many ways. Well, that's actually a very good point. Um, Jamie, what about you? Is there a, other than the, the gift of having uh, providing a uh, family and a home for your child, uh, is there anything specific that they have, a gesture that they've done or something they've given you, actually physically given you? Um, well, it's kind of funny. I know it was kind of right after it happened. He was born in April of 2009, and that Christmas, um, they had sent out, like, a little, they got a picture taken, um, and they had sent out this little picture greeting um, Christmas postcard thing that they had probably sent out to their whole family and friends and everything, but what, I mean, it's still, when I think about it, I could cry if I really think about it, but I still have it on our fridge, and there's a picture of him and then a smaller inset picture of the three of them. And it said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And obviously that Bible verse. And then mm-hmm. their, their personal message was, um, we are understanding these words more this year than ever. Have a blessed and Merry Christmas, love. And they put their names. And that meant more to me because in a roundabout way, they were telling everyone that they knew that someone had given them a gift. And it wasn't, obviously, it wasn't like, thank you, Jamie, for this amazing, you know, I didn't, I I wasn't expecting it, and it meant so much to me. And I think those little gestures that they've done, I mean, in other situations, I was at his baby dedication, and they mentioned me in front of the whole church, and she called me out in front of the uh, congregation and thanked me for the joy that they had. I mean, just little things like that, they haven't forgotten about me. It's not like they took this child and, and went along their merry way and just have this again, obligatory relationship that they agreed upon to get this child. Like, they go out of their way in little gestures, and I don't even think they realize that they're doing it, but it means so much to me that they appreciate me so much. Um, And they do it, again, in such a a very roundabout way. It's not something that's out there, and they're not giving me all this accolation and praise all the time. It's just a very subtle thing that I hold and treasure in my heart. They, um, is Mother's Day a particularly difficult day for, for each of you? Margaret, how about you? Uh, no, it's not. I, I have other, I have three other children that are younger. And, um, just like any family out there, we all have difficulties coordinating who's going to be where and when. And, um, uh, we've always understood that my oldest daughter, Barbara, will actually be with her uh, adoptive family for Mother's Day. And it's, it's pretty much worked out that way. I completely respect and honor that. And we've had weeks where, or a lot of holidays, it applies, that like Mother's Day, we actually just choose a different calendar day that all of us can be together as, as kind of the second choice 
that actually works out great because my other kids have in-laws and um, other families that they can, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and celebrate with them. So it's actually worked out wonderfully. No problems at all. For the rest of you, do you want to be acknowledged by your adoptive, by your child's adoptive parents on Mother's Day? I know that throwing that out to the group, let me uh, be specific. Uh, Kate, let's ask you that question. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I would say that Mother's Day is a an occasion that is particularly difficult for me. Um, I believe that my son's adoptive parents sent me a Mother's Day card in his first year, but have not acknowledged me in any Mother's Day since then in the last decade. Um, and I have always made it a point to acknowledge them on Mother's and Father's Mother's Day and Father's Day. And that has been, you know, disappointing to me. However, um, my son's birth father always sends me roses on Mother's Day, so I can always count on him to remember me on Mother's Day. And it took a while, I think, for my family. Um, I should also, I should note that I'm one of three birth mothers in my family. Two of my uh, mother's sisters placed in the 1980s. Uh, enclosed adoption. So my family has a history of uh, experiences with adoption that they did not talk about. Um, so it took a while for my family to get on board with being able to acknowledge me because we didn't acknowledge my aunt's birth parenthood for so long. Um, but at this point, my family celebrates Mother's Day with me. So I have, I do have people to celebrate Mother's Day with. Here is an interesting question we got from Curious. And curious asks, um, how do how would how do birth mothers or how do this this specific panel of birth mothers feel if an adoptive mama ma, mother asked if she could breastfeed their child? Would they be totally turned off? Would this question have made them not select a particular family? Uh, what she's referring to, we did a show on this recently, and actually we have extensive resources now online on our site on breastfeeding the adopted child, including a frequently asked questions page. Uh, and it is indeed possible, particularly um, in a domestic adoption when the, uh, the, it's a newborn that you are adopting, uh, to breastfeed. Uh, and I was so glad I hadn't even thought of this question. But she's, what she's wanting to do is hear it from a birth mother's perspective, which I thought was, was beautiful. Uh, Jamie, how would you feel uh, uh, about, uh, and maybe perhaps you actually, I don't know that your birth mother may have breastfed. I don't know. But how would you feel about that? And would you be freaked out? Um, I mean, obviously you want a, a honest answer and, and to be quite frank, yes. Um, and, and it might also be because I haven't read those studies and that's an, an actual, that's something I've never heard of before. Um, so I just, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. Um, I was a formula that fed baby and I turned out just fine and there's plenty of babies that have and I just, I think that's something that's very intimate and, and I can, I can appreciate um, a woman wanting to have that connection with their child. Um, I did not breastfeed because I did not want to have that change my mind in the hospital because connecting with a child on that level, I felt that it would have wavered how I felt. Um, might not have done it for another another woman, but for me, that was something that I just wasn't prepared to uh, deal with emotionally. Um, my son's adoptive mother did not you know, express any interest in this, and, and I know them pretty well. I don't think she did that. Um, but, yeah, I would have to be honest and say that that would be something that might be a deal-breaker for me if, if they would have brought that up. Kate, since you also have placed more recently than Sarah and Margaret uh, when this and, and were in the process of – went through the process of selecting a family, how about uh, you? How would you feel about that? I think uh, that would be definitely an individual preference on the part of each uh, expectant mother who's considering adoption. So I think it would be very difficult to say that, yes, it's a bad idea to put that in the, you know, your profile or no, it's not a bad idea because um, it, it, it would be hard to generalize Jamie's opinion and my opinion as the opinion of everybody considering adoption. But I, yes. I think True enough. I agree with that. I would, but, but I would concur with Jamie that personally I would not have been comfortable with that. Okay. Uh, Tom, this is Margaret again. Yeah. Um, I also, in uh, many years after my uh, birth uh, with Barbara, I became a certified nurse midwife, and breastfeeding is right up my alley. I nursed my three children. If I had learned later that my daughter had been breastfed, I actually would have been thrilled by that 
in that it requires a lot of dedication. It's not an easy process. It is, is fraught with some difficulties. And, and yet it also says we understand that this breast milk will actually be uh, potentially the very best food for this new baby. And not only is it a bonding issue, but it actually provides a huge amount of benefit throughout that child's life. So I think it is actually uh, a great idea. I agree with Kate in that putting it on a profile may not be appropriate or it could lead to some mixed um, information that would be hard to decipher. But I think we need to promote breastfeeding as a whole in our society and see that as a natural extension, even among adopted children. So that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> um, here's a question from Lillian. She says, um, I feel guilty, but at times I feel overwhelmed by my son's birth family. We have his birth mother and birth father who want to be very involved with meetings monthly. Now we have his grandparents on both sides of the family, and with the birth father we have a step-grandparent too, making that two sets of grandparents on that side. We also have brothers and a sister of bio-parents who want to be, who want some contact. We want an open adoption, but we also want some privacy. I don't whether, know whether this is the right forum to raise this question, but I don't really know where else to go. Also, what I'd like to hear from the birth mothers on, on your show is this. We have our son's first birthday coming up. We can't invite the birth mom and dad at the same, to the same gathering. What should we do to not hurt anyone's feelings, but to not become too overwhelmed with birth family obligations? And, and I want to use this question as a segue to talking about the fact that that as an expectant woman who made an adoption plan, it didn't just affect you. It probably affected your parents and your perhaps even your siblings. I don't know. So I'd like to kind of talk about how extended family are impacted by the decision to make an adoption. And then we can, if anybody wants to try to uh, suggest ways that perhaps Lillian can handle this, this first birthday. Sarah, how did your decision to adopt affect your parents? Or did it? Uh, well, it certainly did. Um my parents were not very happy that I got pregnant, understandably. I was 16. My boyfriend was 21. I probably, they probably regretted even allowing me to date him once they realized that I had gotten pregnant. Um, that clearly was a mistake on lots of people's parts. Um, my father was very adamant from the beginning that I was going to give this baby up for adoption or else. Um, and or else was I'm going to divorce your mother and move out of the house and that's that and um, that really was not a very good option for us because my mother had not worked outside of the home for 20 years at that point so the idea that my mother would have been able to financially sustain her myself and an infant is laughable now would my dad have actually done that i'm not so sure but at the time i believed it wholeheartedly um my uh, my parents uh my mother i think felt much sorrier for me had a lot more empathy for the situation and my feelings. I think my dad was looking at, you know, let's do what's reasonable, let's do what's right for the child. Um, you know, we're going to do this kind of thing. I had a lot of conflict with my parents the entire time. Um, it was not a good scene. Um, I think they did the best they could, but uh, it, it just didn't uh, just didn't go very well. Um, in any event. Um, I did decide to give my child up for adoption. The birth father was not a good role model. He was not he was not offering to step up financially or, or in any other way. So there really um there would have been no male role model for my son in this life. So with me. So um post adoption, um my parents I mean I think they love my child. They definitely were with me at the hospital. My mom was my birth coach, whatever you want to call it. Um, they have maintained contact with the adoptive parents via the agency as well. They send Christmas cards and letters and gifts. Um, I think they do miss him. They, we don't talk about it much, honestly, because um, mm -hmm. kind of it's a painful topic. I have some mixed feelings still towards my parents regarding the whole thing. So um, we don't talk about it very much, but they were very excited about the potential of a reunion last year when he did write to me. So, um, I mean, I think they miss him. You know, my mom. Mm -hmm. My mom in particular, you know, I think it is it is hard. It is hard for her. But I do I do put up a lot of walls and boundaries around this adoption for myself in regards to my family. So we don't probably talk about it as much as maybe some others on the panel. Well, Jamie, you mentioned that your um, 
Oh, I don't know if you mentioned it here. I think you mentioned it in your uh, in your essay that I reprinted on the blog that your son's second birthday is coming up, oh. and that you and uh, members of your family, I believe, are going to uh, be sending, be staying at your at his his parents' his adoptive parents' house uh, for the party. Um, how, any advice you could give Lillian on how to not hurt feelings or uh, in this situation with her son's birthday? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I'd like to say to any, you know, prospective adoptive parents or any adoptive parents that are listening is the best advice we were given through the adoption agency that we went through, because we did go through an agency and we had counseling, was to be very careful the level of openness you start out with. Because once you open that door, you can't close it. And this might be a situation um, that your listener is kind of facing now is, you know, you want, you're so grateful that you know, these people have given you the joy of your life um, in this child, but now, <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, I'm trying to have, create the family that I've promised these birth parents and family that, that you know, we're going to provide for this child, and, and it's really hard to do that with people coming at you from all sides. Um, I will be going down um, to, to visit next month, actually, and we're staying at their house for two and a half days, which is just insane to me um to think about <laughs> i'm very very happy but when i look back at this it's like wow how did this happen um but i will say the first time i met them we talked about exchanging email addresses and that freaked me out and it kind of freaked them out um so we allowed this natural progression to happen and um if you read my you know what you posted on your blog um if your listeners would get on there and read it that we did have some complications after my son was born he was in the hospital for 2 weeks and over that two-week period, we bonded in such a way because they watched me hurt and let go. And I watched them be sensitive and take over and protect him. And, like, we were able to partner together and have that, which is such a blessing. Um, what I would suggest is to be very sensitive this first year. I mean, for years to come, it's going to be very sensitive um, for these birth families. But the first year, these milestones, these anniversaries – his first birthday was so hard for me, and and the funny thing was, it wasn't his birthday. It was the day before, and I find that very odd, but I think it's because I was all geared up for his birthday to be really, really hard, and, and I was prepared for it, and it hit me the day before because my, my guard was down, my defenses were down, and I was a mess. I had to leave work. I couldn't, I couldn't stop crying. Um, I don't know you... I don't know what the right thing to do is because I don't know the situation. Right, yeah. But it might be one of those things where you need to kind of slowly and gently pull back, maybe very gradually and subtly so it's not something that you have to have a conversation about necessarily, but just, you know, maybe call a little less, maybe take a day or two to reply to an email or, or however that is progressing for her situation. But you know, for anyone starting out, just be super, super careful because, again, once you open all these doors, you find yourself in a position where you're like, okay, how do I pull back now? How do I be sensitive, but how do I protect my family? This One is Kate. Can I add to that? Is that please. possible? Uh -huh, <laughs> okay. I'm going to take a different position than Jamie just took um, because I, I think that when we have, we as uh, prospective birth parents have these conversations with prospective adoptive parents, um, in the beginning, before we've made our decision, when we're just kind of feeling each other out and having those, you know, what what might our openness look like? We often don't have the rigorous conversations that get us to talking about extended family involvement. We're basically, you know, confined to talking about pictures and letters, what might we name the baby, things like that. So those conversations before placement really need to happen. And I'm going to take a different position than Jamie and say that, Subtly pulling back and uh, not having a, a, a frank conversation about the nature of the relationship might cause some misunderstandings and some hurt feelings. And I think mm -hmm. that if you have the communication base between the adults in this relationship, that it might better serve everyone to say, hey, you know, it, there's all of these people involved right now. I want – and I'm speaking from the hey, – imaginary perspective of an adoptive parent. I want to be able, you know, to to, to honor these birth relationships, but it, I'm juggling so much right now, and we also, you know, need to make sure that we're attending to the needs of our child, 
So in in my experience, what I do in my um in my relationship is that every other visit that I have with them, I ask them if I can invite extended family members. So that uh, every other visit is just me and Dave, his birth father, and then um alternating I will bring maybe one sister or my grandmother and my aunt or my mom and my dad. So it's not everyone all at once every single time. So that might be a way to just kind of pace themselves. That's a great suggestion. I I was going to voice not exactly but but very similar that I think a an open conversation with and it sounds like that the in this case uh uh, his birth mom and birth father are not somebody that they can work with together, but having an open conversation individually with the birth mom and in separate conversation with the birth father explaining this situation as well as their willingness to to honor and want to continue with an open relationship, but, but that a balance needs to be struck. And as far as a, a party, perhaps a compromise would be to agree to go to a park and have a picnic with the birth father's side of the family so that it's not an imposition on the uh, adoptive family to throw a big hoopla for each of the separate families, but to go and to celebrate in that way and then go and do another celebration at another someplace outside of your home so there's not as much work that has to be done uh, for the other side of the family and then uh, have a small party. Well, one, they may not even want to party with friends of the sons, that type of thing at their house, if that may be a way to not hurt feelings. But but again, you can't really speculate because that would be assuming that every birth family is the same, and they're not. And so you have to compromise and work with that individual family as to what feels comfortable, in particular with, for the birth mom and the birth father and the adoptive family, since they are the the primary unit, and of course the child. But at one, he's not he's not really going to get have much of an opinion one way or the other. So I think that's that's probably important as well. I do want to have we have uh one question that's that's kind of been uh asked in a, by a number of different people and I I want to address it in the as our last question in the just the little bit of time we have left. I think that one of the misperceptions that exists in the for people who have not thought about adoption and are not educated on what open adoption means. There is the misperception that open adoption is the same thing as as co-parenting. And uh, and I think that that is something that I'd like to hear from your perspective. If that's something that you would seek, or, or how do you how do you view your role as a parent in your children's lives? Um, Kate, I'll go ahead and you just finish talking, but let me ask you that question first, and then I'll open it up to everybody. Sure, open adoption is definitely not co-parenting, and I don't. I've never envisioned my role as being a co-parent. I do. Um, see myself as being my son's mother, and I see his adoptive mother as being my son's mother as well. Um, I feel that my role is to honor and respect uh, their position as parents in his life, and I always remind myself uh, that I made a parenting decision to place my son with them, and I asked them to, to take over those parenting decisions in my place. So because I asked them to do this for my son, uh, my job is to essentially, um, you know, honor and support and respect them in the ways that I can. I don't ever put my two cents in about, you know, their decisions about his education or the sports that he's in or, or, or anything like that. Um, my role is to be uh, present and available to my son and to them um, to, you know, ex express my love for my son and to always be available to ask or for him to ask questions to me, um, it's 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 a supportive and a loving role, but it's not a co-parenting role. Jamie, I'm going to give you the last word since you were also the only one other one on the panel that's in an active open adoption relationship. Um, how how do you address the co-parenting issue? Um, I would have to agree completely with what Kate just said. I've never thought that I would ever place you know, have a place in my son's life where I would have any, any sort of authority like that. Um, I've kind of, I mean, that was relinquished when I signed the papers, you know, and I knew that. Um, I think to add to what she said, though, is what I always tell myself, um, along with what she said, is that my job is also be a positive influence in his life. You know, the fact mm -hmm. that they are allowing me to be an influence, I want to take that seriously and to respect them 
and give them everything that they need from me as far as respect and admiration and all that um, is to also be a good, positive person in his life um, and take that seriously. Well, on that wonderful note, we are going to end. I want to thank each of you so much for being uh, on our panel today on Creating a Family. I think that it's these type of, of conversations and communications that we need to have. Those of us who care about kids and those of us who care about adoption need to be having more of. And uh, and, and certainly from the uh, enthusiastic response we have seen so far from the questions coming in, uh, I certainly think that we're going to be doing this again. I think it has been just very helpful. So thank you so much for joining us today, and I'm going to see you next week. Bye-bye.